This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame, so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. Hey, I'm Sarah. When planning our home birth, my husband Matthew and I were really frustrated by the lack of empowering and honest home birth resources. So we created this podcast to start a new conversation for moms and families like us. This is Doing It at Home. Hey everyone, welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast and welcome to our first episode of 2018. So happy, healthy, blessed new year to all of you and thanks so much for joining us. So we have a really cool episode to kick off the year, and that is a first for the show. It is a birth story that involves home birth after cesarean, and we have not had that yet, so I'm really excited to bring that perspective. But real quick before that, just wanted to share some ways that you can get involved with the Doing It at Home community ways to keep the conversation going, all that great stuff. We've made some changes to our website recently. We have a resources page there for you to see some of our favorite things that we've used, uh, books, products, programs, all that sort of stuff from pregnancy, birth, and beyond. So go check that out on our website, diahpodcast.com. And also ways that you can support the show, either through emotional and mental vibes or through monetary donations. So we have it set up there for you to make a one-time payment or recurring, or you can use our nifty Amazon link there to purchase things that you would already be buying anyway, but just through our link. And then as a result of using our link, link. Amazon thanks us for us referring you. So it's this nice little loop circle of reciprocity. And quick note on that, nothing looks different on the page. When you click that link, it looks like you're in a normal Amazon interface. So nothing about it is different. Don't worry, it's not wrong. It's just a trust that the link you know, kicks back to us. So that's a way there for you too. We have a Facebook page, a private Facebook page for the community, and you can check that out. There's a link to it from the support page of our website, and that is the Doing It at Home Birth Group. And then also we have a free ebook for you, 12 Things That Made Our Home Birth Awesome. So you can go download that and it's sent right to your inbox and you can check out the things that made our home birth awesome. Cool. Okay, so jumping into a little bit about today's story, we dive into the question of how do you turn the trauma from one birth experience into a trusting and healing home birth after cesarean? Well, Diana shares that with us today in this episode and how she did that. She takes us through the journey of both of her pregnancies and births and kind of contrasting and comparing the two, her sons, Erikel and Rama. Now, first off, just have to note that she and her husband, Brad, found out they were pregnant as they were planning their wedding, and they were planning to get married at Burning Man, which is 
Super cool. So despite being pregnant and not so feeling hot, not feeling so hot, excuse me, in her first trimester, that didn't change their plans. So baby Erikel has been to Burning Man in utero. Pretty sweet. Anyway, Diana has always considered herself interested in birth, and so when planning her own, she decided to do it at home. But after a day and a half of labor, something felt off, and so they implemented Plan B, transferred to the hospital, and Diana felt the energy shift immediately and her autonomy taken away. So she experienced what is often referred to as the cascade of interventions, Pitocin and eventual cesarean, and that prompted her to move into this sort of survival mode. And she remembers feeling violated in a very extreme and horrifying way. And so once baby Eric Hell arrived safely and healthily, Diana was kind of left with feelings of PTSD and postpartum depression. So when it came time to plan for second birth, Diana had some healing to do. And so scared to have another similar situation like her first birth, she tapped into this powerful and innate trust in birth and in her body's ability. And so a series of connections with other people and alignment and opportunities to move through all of that, she found a midwife who would work with her and support her in having a magical home birth after a cesarean and HBAC. And that's exactly what Diana got. And she would describe it in one word as ecstasy. So listen in to hear that amazing story and everything else that Diana has to offer. She's such a beautiful soul and spirit, and I'm so grateful to have her on the show and to kick off 2018. So here it is. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, Diana. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. How are you? Hi, Sarah. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. This is really exciting. Absolutely. I'm really excited about our conversation because you are going to be a first for us on the show, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and get it out there. It's a home birth after cesarean, and that's something we have not talked about yet on the show, and I just know now a lot of ears are perking up, and people are getting really excited to hear what you have to share. So just thank you for taking time and being so bold and brilliant and beautiful to share your story with us. Thank you. I'm I'm happy to do so. Great. I'm excited to share it. Yeah. <laughs> so kick us off just with a little bit about you and your family. Sure. Yeah. Um, I live in Seattle, Washington. Um, I'm married to my partner, Brad, and we have two little boys, a four-year-old named Erikel and a two-year-old named Rama. Um, my husband works in software and I'm a writer. Awesome. That's so yeah. cool. Um, yeah. So then... Tell us a little bit about your your family planning and growing your family thus far and, you know, from first birth into second birth, a little bit of that that context and backstory. Sure. Well, um, uh, my I became pregnant kind of unexpectedly. We actually weren't trying to have kids. <laughs> we were um, engaged to be married, and um, my first pregnancy was really just a big shock. It was mm. a surprise to both of us. We were just a couple of months away from our wedding, so... Um, after we 
kind of got over the initial shock. We started to get a little bit excited. Um, you know, we loved each other. We were getting married. We knew that we wanted at some point to have kids. So the timing was a little strange, but it turned out just fine. Um, just after we had a chance to get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, an interesting part of the story is that we were actually planning our wedding at Burning Man, which is like this kind of desert festival rave party thing that happens um, in Nevada, if you've never heard of it. That and is it's am- not- <laughs> amazing. But you were planning to get married there? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And it's, it's not an awesome place for like a first trimester pregnant woman to be, you know, it's like <laughs> really harsh conditions, you know, everybody's partying and doing things that I, you know, wouldn't partake in as a pregnant woman. But right. um, we kind of couldn't get out of it because, you know, we were locked into this. Um, so uh, we, I did end up going, um, I was about 12 weeks pregnant and it was fun. It, it all turned out fine, but it was a interesting little twist to <laughs> how our family got started, I guess. Wow. That's a great thing to have in your story. I think that's <laughs> just so cool. And you can tell, you know, Eric Hill that he was at Burning Man. <laughs> we, we do. Actually, we do tell him that. That's so great. Yeah. We have, we have pictures that we show him and he, I don't think he really cares, but right. at some point he might think it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that that's how my first pregnancy started. Um, I have always been really, really interested in uh, birth for some reason. I don't know like where I got this bug. I was, you know, born in a very conventional way in a hospital with OBs. Um, my own parents weren't really into like home birth or midwifery or crunchier things, but that's always been something that's really interesting to me. It always made a lot of sense to me to birth in the company of women, um, to be at home, to not turn birth into a medical event, because I actually don't believe it's a medical event, which is kind of a shocking thing for most people to hear. But I've always felt that way. Even before I thought about getting pregnant or thought about having babies, it was just an interest of mine. So we planned from the very start to have um, Erica at home. And my husband was right on board with it. He thought it was a great idea. So that's the birth that we planned. And I had a really uneventful pregnancy, very healthy, no issues. Um, He was due at the very end of February. And um, I, I had a great pregnancy right up until the very, very end, like the last two weeks. I started to feel suddenly just like super heavy and uncomfortable and like all of my internal organs were smashed and like mm-hmm. I just couldn't breathe and I and I kind of thought that that you know well I every pregnant woman probably feels this way when she's like almost 10 months pregnant you know um so I didn't think too much of it my midwives weren't concerned um and but that was kind of a foreshadowing for what was going to happen with his birth mm. um so I'll just I'll just briefly tell you a story and, and stop me at any time if I'm not giving enough detail if you want me to go into more. But um, I went into labor with Erica at about 41 weeks. It's pretty typical for a first-time mom. And I labored at home with uh, my doula, my midwife, and my husband for about almost a day and a half. Oh, wow. uh, just, just yeah, all, like almost a, almost a whole day and a half. And I'm talking... I'm counting not from like having contractions, but I mean like active labor, mm-hmm. like active labor pattern, very long time. And obviously there were some breaks in between where I'd have a little bit of a lull and then it'd pick up again. Um, but something was just really off with this labor. And I, 
even though I had never done this before, I could feel like my body was dilating appropriately, um, but I could feel my son really high up in my body, if that mm. makes sense. Like I could feel him right under my ribs. He never descended. Mm. Um, he was fine during the labor. He, he, you know, his heart rate was fine. He was moving around. He was fine, but there was just something really off. And I, I tossed it out, I think for as long as I felt comfortable, which I said was well, well over, about a, about a day and a half. I think it's weird. You know, when you try to convey a timeline with labor and you kind of have to consult other people because when you were in it, it's like a time warp and you don't yes. know how many hours you did one day. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind, of, it's kind of hard for me to be accurate, but it was around, around that long that I labored at home. And, um, at a certain point, my midwife, you know, kind of looked at me and was like, Diana, you know, what do you think is going on with your labor, or your son? What do you think is happening? Mm. I, I checked in my gut and I, the first thing that I felt intuitively was that something was wrong with his position. Mm. Um, something was off. Like maybe his head was off to the side. He, we knew he was head down, but like something was just strange about his position. So we tried some, you know, laboring in some different positions, you know, like a, like a, uh, you know, squatting and, and different positions with my legs. And it just, nothing was changing. And it got to a certain point where I just felt like something needed to change to get my son here. And, mm. and so we decided to transfer. We, we had a, a plan in place if we needed to, there was a local hospital that my midwife had relationships with um, the midwives that worked there. And they had midwives too, which was kind of a plus for me. Yeah. Yeah. So we made the decision to transfer and got in the car. That car ride was the most excruciating <laughs> 10 minutes of my life for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, like every laboring woman says that that car ride to the hospital really is the worst. Yeah. But we got there. Yeah, we, we got there. Um, and almost immediately I could tell like there is this huge shift like this energy shift in in what I knew was going to happen to me um I could feel as soon as I walked in the door that all of my autonomy was taken away Mm. I mean I was definitely a number not not really a person right and you know I signed some forms that I couldn't possibly read you know (sighs) I basically said they could do anything to me that's just what you do when you're in that model um, and then so quickly things started to happen to me. I was given an epidural. I didn't ask for one, but they gave me one. Um, I was totally numb from the chest down, couldn't move, but I could at least rest a little bit. So I rested mm-hmm. a little bit and, you know, it was really the very typical cascade of interventions that you hear about where the epidural made my contractions slow down. Yeah. They gave me Pitocin. Yep. I didn't ask for that. I didn't give consent to it. They just did it. They broke my water. I also didn't consent to that. They just did it. Um, And this was all really scary for me, but I was totally in survival mode. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like being through any physically traumatic experience. Like I can imagine a rape survivor just kind of goes into like, I just have to get through this to survive. And that's, I actually don't make that comparison lightly. It actually felt incredibly violating Mm -hmm. um, in an extremely intimate way. So so I was in a survival mode during that time mm-hmm. and I just received the perfect 
typical cascade of interventions, you know, epidural, Pitocin, water breaking. Oh my gosh, the baby has scary heart decelerations right. happening. We have to get them out right now. Immediate C-section, bam. Yeah. So that's what happened. It was horrifying. I mean, being through a surgery like that when you're wide awake and uh, I just don't even have words to describe it. It was, it was horrible. It was horrifying. They separated me from my husband. They did let him in the OR eventually, but for a good period of time, I was alone and really scared and naked and vulnerable. And these were strange men that I'd never seen in my life. Um, so uh, it, it did happen very quickly, though. The surgery happened really quickly. And they pulled my son out. I heard him cry. And um, they took him away to the side and weighed him and, you know, did his APGAR scores and all those things. And the doctor that was holding him, I heard him yell out, he's 12 pounds, three ounces. Ooh. And I remember turning my head and I, I think I literally, Sarah audibly said, no, <laughs> I said, I said, no, I cannot grow a baby that big. Um, I mean, to give you a little bit of context, I am a petite person. My husband's a petite person. I'm a vegan. Like I cannot grow a 12 pound baby. It's impossible. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I looked, I looked, I turned my head and I saw him and he was huge. He was so big so big. He was just definitely, definitely 12 pounds, three ounces. He was huge. Biggest infant I had ever seen. And in fact, um, one of the OB nurses later told me that she had been working in OB for like 20 years and he was the biggest one she had ever seen. (laughs) So, so big. And, you know, everybody of course thought gestational diabetes when they saw a baby that big. And so, and I had been screened for it and I knew that I didn't have it, but they, you know, of course they screened him and his blood sugars were fine. Um, he was perfectly healthy. He was just ginormous. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's, and you know, I want to be careful not to imply that, um, women can't naturally birth 12 pound pound babies because they can Mm -hmm. and they do. Yeah. They definitely do. And I know that most people within the mainstream, when they hear my story, they go, well, thank God you had a C-section because you had a 12 pound baby. And I get, like, I get that that's part of the narrative. I understand. But, and I do think that his size contributed to how difficult his labor was. Yeah. Um, But, you know, when I think about it now, I just think, you know, however, his birth was going to be an initiation, no matter how it happened. Mm. You know, he, he was going to make a big, big entrance in some way. That's just who he is. That's, I love that. I do have some questions. Um, sure. We've, we've gotten a couple of emails and, and things from listeners regarding transfers. Cause we've had a few on the shows. Women have, have spoken about, you know, planning for a home birth and then plan B gets put into action and questions around huh. just why, you know, what was the ultimate reason or what is the explanation for the, the transfer? And, you know, me not having experienced that, but just vicariously through these conversations, a lot of time my response to that is, you know, it can be a multitude of things. Obviously, you know, every woman is so different, but most of the time it seems to be a very long labor, kind of what you described. Mm -hmm. And either mom is just exhausted, you know, let's get to the hospital, maybe get an epidural, maybe rest, whatever. And then potentially still have a vaginal birth or not. Um, or, you know, there's the 
smaller, smaller percent where something might go a little askew. And so it's like, okay, we need, we need some of those interventions in place. So all of that to say, would you say ultimately what I heard from you was this kind of divine motherhood intuition that you had and you said about the positioning is that what you would say ultimately was the decision to transfer like just that offness that you were describing that's exactly what it was yeah Yeah. um and and I should also say that like my biggest fear was ending up at the hospital my biggest fear wasn't pain it wasn't um how hard labor was going to be like I really I was only afraid of ending up at the hospital because I kind of knew what I was going to get there I I didn't want that model of care and it's fine if someone else does. I just really didn't want that. And so you're correct. I, the, the transfer was definitely my call and it was definitely my own, my own guidance saying just that something had to shift. I didn't mm-hmm. know what it was. I just knew, I knew Ark, he was fine. I could tell you Ark was fine. I, I was okay. Not great, but I was right. okay. I just knew something had to shift and you're right. Um, you know, in speaking with midwives and other women in, uh, my birthing community locally, that is the vast, vast majority of reasons why women transfer is because they're exhausted. It's a long labor. It's usually not like a dire emergency, right. you know, like you would imagine. Like, right. it's not like, oh my God, something's wrong. We have to run to the hospital right now. Thank God. You know, it, it usually is something more um, ephemeral. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. And now, I would imagine, you know, as we get into your your second birth, some of this will come out, but how since that experience have you taken some action to to heal, to, you know, rectify some of what you experienced? What's that been like for you? Well, I I'm ashamed to say that work didn't really take place until my second pregnancy when mm-hmm. I found myself having to do it. Ah, okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like the universe just con- just said, okay, Diana, you, you have, to, and we can, we'll get more into this, I'm sure. But right. um, my second baby was also not a planned pregnancy because birth control does not work for us apparently. <laughs> and so birth control doesn't I work for you when you grow big babies. <laughs> that's some yeah, super I, vegan yes, food you're eating over correct. there. <laughs> <laughs> that is like, I guess what happened. So anyways, um, I didn't do that work until my second pregnancy when I didn't have a choice and I had to do it. Gotcha. Um, and you know, in, in the, the, the two years after Jericho's birth, the first year was extremely difficult. I had every problem with breastfeeding you can possibly imagine a um, hundred times over. And um, that really consumed me. Um, I think that for a lot of moms that have traumatic births or births that didn't go quite the way that they planned, I've heard that like when the breastfeeding relationship goes well, that is can be really healing and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, help to restore a little bit of faith in your body. And so for me, having that work was important to me and it was a struggle. And that really dominated like the first six months of his life. And I also definitely absolutely had PTSD. I had nightmares. I cried all the time. Um, it was a rough, rough time. And I didn't seek out any emotional or spiritual healing. And I really should have, I really should have, Mm -hmm. but I, I just didn't do it until I had to, you know, I was a brand new mom, like any other brand new mom, just trying to figure out how to be a brand new mom and dealing with, um, trauma and abuse. I, I could, I didn't have the bandwidth for it, you Mm -hmm. know, at that time. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. I, 
I can, yeah. I can appreciate that. And I think through sharing like you are, it can inspire other women to, you know, maybe do the work earlier on or put, put mechanisms in place or people or whatever. And, you know, it's all in oh, our yeah. own time. Um, but I, these, these stories are so important. Um, so I just, yeah. I appreciate you and, um, just for, for doing it. It's, it's great. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I hope that anyone who's listening to this who's had a traumatic birth definitely get help. There's such good help out there. There's there's counselors that work specifically for this issue, and right. they're wonderful, and they, they're here to serve you, and I could have really benefited from that for sure. Right, right. So given that experience with Erikel now moving into a second pregnancy, you know, unplanned as well, was it were you certain right off the bat you would want to go home birth again and see how that went? Or where, where were you at, you know, in your headspace once you had this new pregnancy to plan for? You know, despite how Erica's birth went, I never felt like home birth was the wrong choice. And I never mm-hmm. felt like home birth wasn't safe. Right. Um, you know, our story was pretty unique and it, and it was our story, but home birth itself, I never saw that as being like a failure or a failing on my part or a failure on the part of my midwives or a model of care. So I love that. Uh, yeah, I, I really trusted birth. I still trust birth. And even though I had that experience that was so shattering, I still really trusted birth. And, you know, don't, don't think I wasn't absolutely terrified because I was really, really scared. And I, I think when I first found out I was pregnant, I cried for just a week straight and mm. I didn't even know, you know, I didn't know how I was going to emotionally confront birth again, but I knew that my only option was birthing at home. That was my only option. There was no way if I was going to go to a hospital again, I knew I would be treated as a high risk patient. Mm. I knew that there would be different uh, parameters where they would monitor my labor that I, you know, in, we can get into the details of this more for your listeners. It might be interesting, but it does vary state to state. So uh, I knew, I knew enough about VBAC that in the state where I live, um, you are, and I'm using air quotes, you are allowed to try to have a vaginal birth in a hospital um, with an OB, not with a midwife. And there are all these other uh, regulations, you know, like constant fetal monitoring, not intermittent. And you have to, have a, like a staffed OR, you know, there's all these weird stipulations that they, they will consider your label a high risk that 
for me personally, I feel sets women up for not having a great birth experience. Um, you are, as a woman with a prior C-section, you are not allowed in my state to birth in a birth center. It's against the law. And then as far as birthing at home, um, I knew that home birth midwives exist in this legal gray zone where mm. it's like, it's not really within the scope of their license to do it or their insurance doesn't cover it or something. They're not supposed to do it. Yeah. Um, and if any Washington midwives are listening, I hope I'm characterizing this correctly. This is kind of what I understood from my midwives. So they're not really supposed to do it, but uh, there are some here that will. And the reason that they do it is because they see it as a human rights issue um, that women should have this option. Yeah. And also the literature shows that it's safe. Like mm-hmm. VBAC is safe. It, it's really safe. Um, and especially now that, we're in an era where surgical techniques have improved a lot from previous generations. Right. It's really like the, the risk of uterine rupture is incredibly low. It's so, 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 so low. Um, it's safe to be back. So there are midwives that know this and they really want to support women at home. So they kind of do it under the table. They don't advertise that they do it. Um, and in order to achieve a home birth with a midwife where I live, you kind of just have to get connected with like, a super secret society of women who've done it, women who can give you a name. <laughs> and so that's like that's go outside and like give my... a signal, like woohoo, woohoo, and like <laughs> midwife comes and greets you or something and like takes exactly. you down a back alley. Oh my gosh. It's like not a it's like not a bat signal, but like the uterus yeah, signal. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> um I just wanna like acknowledge here, first of all, everything you just said, I want to, when this is aired, I want to listen to it, pause it, rewind and like listen to it again, because I find it, I'll use the term fascinating other than a number of other words I could use or might want to, depending on whatever. Uh, Fascinating the intricacies to which women can or cannot legally birth certain ways in certain states based on Mm -hmm. prior experience or a prior medical procedure, whatever. Like I just can't think of any other condition of, of the physical experience. I, I also don't want to get like feminist rant on this, but I just can't think of any other scenario in which a man would not be able to do a certain thing medically because of something. It just kind of all blows my mind. And so I'll just say fascinating that you can't do what you want with your uterus. Like what? I just, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I could, I could get all ranty too, but I'll save that for a, a different, a different show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Just, and and that could yeah. be a whole show, right? I mean, the the policies and the laws vary so much state to state. I mean, even being some states up until recently, like Alabama, where you you couldn't legally home birth, you know, with any attendant right. care, um, right? All of that. And then I want to touch on how you said um, VBAC is safe, and I want to go into that for a second and just you know, for the the average person or the listener who might not know anything about it, you know, I want to play the other side of why, you know, why Diana, why is it safe? You know, I've, the only thing me personally that I ever heard about not doing a vaginal birth or especially a home birth after a cesarean was what you alluded to. Oh, well, my uterus is going to explode or like it's going to mm-hmm. rupture. You know, that's the most common right. thing you hear. So could you, can you touch on like for another second, you know, why, why is it safe? It's, it's safe because, 
Okay. Well, I want to say, I mean, one, one, one way that I have to preface my answer is that I'm going into this not knowing why a specific person might have had their primary C-section. So mm-hmm. if there is an underlying issue that's causing your primary C-section, right. like a, you know, crazy anatomical issue mm-hmm. or, um, you know, wildly uncontrolled preeclampsia or something like that, that's a different thing. But Absolutely. And I did put about... you on the spot here. <laughs> Oh, no, no. I'm happy to talk about this. This Great. is my favorite thing to talk about, actually. <laughs> so um, if we're talking about a normal, healthy woman that had a, a, a C-section under the circumstances, much like mine, mm-hmm. much like my circumstances yes. were, which, by the way, is the vast majority of C-sections that are happening in this country are, you know, way overuse of interventions in hospitals sure. that lead to unproductive labor patterns and all of these things. So... Anyways, if we're talking about that, the main concern that providers have is, and also, you know, mothers, is uterine rupture. That's really the only issue. You know, the, yeah. the, the concern that because your uterus has been cut, that it's going to, you know, burst open during labor mm-hmm. and that that makes you high risk. Yeah. And the actual statistics on that are so low. It's like, I think around 1%, which puts it at the same level chance as any other true obstetric emergency, such Mm. as like placenta previa or, you know, um, a cord prolapse, Uh, you know, a true, that is certainly a true emergency, but it's, it's literally, you can think about it at that same level of, um, it's that likely to happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many of us that birth at home, we know, okay, there is a very, very tiny, small chance that, um, we could have a cord prolapse. It's extremely rare, but it happens. And that would be a true emergency and that would require hospitalization. So uterine rupture now in the year 2017, it's that likely to happen. It just really shouldn't be our main concern. Right. And then the other aspect of this is that the risks of having repeat C-sections are so much higher and, and the associated complications that can happen are so much more common than a uterine rupture. Right. So we're actually putting ourselves at a greater risk to have repeated C-sections than to attempt to have a vaginal birth after C-section. And in fact, ACOG, um, which in my personal opinion is a total dinosaur of an organization, just recently um, updated their professional guidelines for obstetricians and gynecologists. And they actually say this. They say that VBAC is appropriate. All women should be uh, given the opportunity to VBAC, you know, uh, assuming that like I said, there isn't some other strange medical issue going on. Right. So, I mean, if they, if they can say that, you know, people in the, in our communities have been, you know, we've known this for a really long time. I think that we can all feel pretty safe. Mm. Did that, did I answer your question? Yes, you did. And I love that. And that was helpful for me being someone who I haven't known someone personally to have a VBAC. I, you know, not in that boat myself. And so um, just for myself, I feel like it sheds a lot of light. And just to hear an, an empowered perspective on it is very, um, let's just say delicious. It's just, I, I love Aww. that. So <laughs> yes, I think well, you did you. an amazing job. And I want to put it out there if you're open to this for any listeners who might have follow-up questions to anything we're talking about regarding your experience, you know, that I could throw them your way and maybe you could even shed some more light, some things that I'm not thinking about giving my, given my context. I might not be asking some of the questions that some listeners are thinking right now. 
Oh my gosh, I would love to connect with your listeners. Cool. Um, <laughs> let's let's definitely share my my information at the end of this. Cool. And you know, I I mentioned to you that I've I've been interviewed a few times um, to tell my story, and the greatest gift that has come out of sharing the story is that I've received so many. Um, DMs on Instagram, mm. messages on Facebook from women like really all over the world that said, hey, your story made me feel good. And I also have been through birth trauma. And thank you for speaking about it. And can you talk to me about this? And I love, love, love connecting with other mothers. It's just been such an absolute gift. So yeah, I'm so open to that. Amazing. Awesome. Um, I I think, you know, we, we stepped in and out, which is amazing. I love like backstories and like tangent conversations and things. But where we were, I believe at one point was home birth was your only option. And so mm-hmm. what then was, I don't know, like what was the plan or, you know, who did you put in place to support you moving into birth number two and, and all of that? Yeah. So like I said, I knew that I had to I had to get connected. I had to put out the uterus signal and get connected to the yes. super secret midwife person that I didn't know how to find and I didn't know where to go. Um, and I didn't know where to start. I really had no idea where to start. Um, and so a, a few weeks into my pregnancy, I was still kind of teary and contemplating, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And I had the sudden memory that I was in a yoga class, a prenatal yoga class when I was pregnant with Erica. And our prenatal yoga teacher had shared with the class in somehow in a very gracious, not scary, um, uh, positive way that she had had a C-section with her first baby. And it sounded like a, I can't remember the details, but it sounded like a true emergency. Mm-hmm. And then a home birth with her second baby. And she shared this story very briefly with all of us in class. And I remember that at the time when I heard her story, I thought, wow what an incredible woman, what courage that must have taken for her to do that. I mean, that's just amazing. And then I thought, well, of course, it's never going to happen to me. I'm, I'm never going to have a C-section. But I remember her telling this story. And then in the same flash of insights, I remembered that I had, she had given me her email address. Because oh. she, she shared it with her pregnant mamas and, and wanted to hear how her births went. She, she's just a really open, lovely person. And so I dug through my phone and I found her email and I was like, Diana, this is it. This is how you do this. So I emailed her. I said, you know, you probably don't remember who I am, but I was in your class like three years ago. And I remember you shared the stories of your birth and I find myself in a really similar situation as you were. And I don't really know where to go to find a midwife. Can you help me? And she, bless her heart, she emailed me back right away. Mm. She even remembered who I was, which shocked me, but she totally remembered who I was. And she told me, Diana, get in touch with your local ICANN group. Mm. ICANN is the International Cesarean Awareness Network, and they have chapters um, in every single major city in the U.S. And they are an organization that supports women who have had C-sections. They support women looking to VBAC. They support women who have to have C-sections and want to have a positive experience. Mm-hmm. They share evidence-based information. Um, they, they're they just, I found them to be an incredibly useful, wonderful organization. And so, and I should say an organization that I've been pretty involved in since having um, my second baby to kind of pay it forward. That's so, awesome. so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I did. I found, I found my local ICANN group. There's one here in Seattle. And I joined their Facebook group 
and I introduced myself and I explained my situation that I need to find a midwife. And that was it. They, they connected me with the super secret list (laughs) (laughs) and I went down that super secret list and I called every single midwife that was within a reasonable distance to me. And as it turned out, there was only one that was um, taking on a client for my, my due date months. And so that was it. I found my midwife. Wow. That's how I, that's how I navigated it. And I found it. Wow. Isn't yeah. when you hear things like that, I just have so much gratitude for social media and technology the way it has evolved now, because there are just some amazing nuggets and magical things that we can create from it. And then of course there's like the silly stuff um, that I don't mm-hmm. love. But then when, when you hear that you were able to do that, you were able to get into that space and create what you did as a result of that. I'm just like, thank you everyone who creates those platforms, because if you could get that oh, yeah. out of it, awesome. And I'm going to look it, up, I can, and I'm going to put links to it on our show notes um, at diahpodcast.com. So I'll, I'll put that there so that listeners can check that out. Great. Excellent. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, thank you, social media. I mean, it, it changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> it gave me this incredible gift. Yeah. Wow. So then moving forward into to as birth got closer, what what sort of things were you doing or, or thinking or working on um to prepare? Well, I should say that here's where the the trauma piece kind of gets connected right. back in because now that I had my kind of my plan in place, I had, I had a provider who was going to attend me at home. I had to heal. I mean, this was my, my calling to heal. I knew that I couldn't come into this birth carrying the trauma of my first birth because I knew it would affect me. And um, I had a lot of work to do. I was really scared. I mean, I, I was not brave. I was very, very scared of having another situation um, like my first birth. And I felt as if if I had another planned home birth that turned into a transfer, that turned into an emergency C-section, I could not come back from that. And um, this is just me. You know, I know that there are women that have C-sections that feel totally fine about them. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I, 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 I don't want to, like, put my own feelings about it or my own trauma around it onto somebody else. But for me personally, birth is so I'm going to tear up just saying it. It's so sacred. It's so sacred. And I, I recognize that this was a moment that like my soul wanted so bad. Mm. I really wanted to birth my baby. I wanted to be fully present for his birth. Mm. I did not want to be anesthetized. I wanted to be in my home with my husband. I didn't want people touching me or hurting me or hurting him. And it just was, this was an opportunity that I knew I had that I could not pass up. I knew I had to, I had to try to do this again. I had, I had to try to heal from my first birth and it just was, this was my sacred moment. Mm. Um, so to answer your question, I just threw everything at the wall. Yeah. I went to counseling. I did tons of prayer and meditation. Mm-hmm. I, um, I treated my body like an absolute temple. I really, I've never taken as good care of my body <laughs> as I did during this pregnancy. I, I spoke to my baby every single day. I um, also did a lot of um, checking in with myself and being really, really clear, like, Diana, are you making this decision to birth at home out of fear 
because you're afraid of a hospital or is this really where this baby needs to be born? Like Mm -hmm. I had to get really extremely clear on that and clear away the fear and really listen to my intuition and listen to my baby. And I did that. And the answer that I always got was, this is going to be a different experience. This is a different baby. You and him, you know, have different shared karma together and it's just going to be a different experience. That's what the answer I kept getting over and over again. So I had to trust it. Um, wow. So I did, I, I did a lot of really deep work during this time and I just used every tool, <laughs> every tool you got, <laughs> every single tool. I, like I said, I went to counseling. I practiced tons of yoga. I prayed. I just did everything I possibly could to, to heal. And, and when it got up to my birthing time, I was in a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you that I was totally fearless or that I was 100% confident that I could do this because I wasn't. I'm still scared. Right. But I, I knew that when I, got a, when I got around to our, my birthing time, I knew that, okay, I had really done the work. I knew that I had done the work. And that gave me solace because I thought if I've really done the work and I have a outcome that isn't ideal, at least I know that I, I really I really showed up for this birth in a very deep way and I can accept hopefully that this baby needed to come in a different way than I wanted him to come. Right. So that's where I was at. So then tell us about birthing time. What yeah, that's all I'll say. I'll shut up. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So um, I had this, I went, as you can imagine, um, during my whole pregnancy, I asked my midwives at every single appointment, you know, when they would palpate my belly and measure my belly, does this baby seem big to you? Uh, <laughs> does this baby seem big to yes. you? Does this baby seem big to you? And they knew my history. They knew that I had had a 12 pound right. baby. And every single time the answer was, he seems very average sized. And I, I felt, I felt that way too. He seemed smaller in my body Mm. than my first one. So I had this moment right at 40 weeks. I had my 40 week appointment uh, right at 40 weeks. And I went into my midwife's office and we had, you know, the standard blood pressure, palpate the belly, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. I had all my home birth supplies. We were all ready to go anytime. And I asked them, you know, just again, one last time, does this baby seem good to you? And she said, no, he seems like a very average sized baby to me from what I can tell. And so I left that appointment and I had this moment, Sarah, I don't even know if I can fully convey it, but I left the office and I stepped onto the sidewalk and I felt this lightning bolt chill go through my whole body. And it was a knowing that felt like it was coming from God herself Mm. in my body saying, Diana, this is going to happen and it's going to be good. It was like, I knew it. It was, it was it was a full body chill sensation. I've never before or since had an experience like that, but I knew, I knew this was going to be good and it was going to happen. And I'll never forget that moment. It was amazing. So I, that very night, right at 40 weeks, I woke up around 2 AM in full labor. And it was like hard contractions coming two minutes apart, no breaks. And it was kind of like, this labor started in what was the middle of my last labor, if that makes sense. It was mm. like 12 hours in to my last labor was when this labor started. Mm. Like really fast, really furious, really hard. 
So I, I got up, I got up out of bed. Um, I filled up a bathtub. I, I wanted to let my husband sleep and my two-year-old to sleep as long as they could. Um, so I stumbled into the bathtub and, and tried to, you know, use the water to help get me comfortable because last time being in the water was really the only pain relief that it was really the only thing that worked with for me in terms of coping with the pain. But it was so interesting. This time it was totally different being in a, a bathtub and being in the water. Just, I felt really ungrounded. I didn't feel like I could get comfortable. I felt like too hot or too cold. And it just was a totally different labor in every way. It was totally mm-hmm. different. So I got out of the water and I went downstairs and got on my birth ball and uh, labored there for a little bit. And then right at around 4 a.m., I I was like, I can't, I need help. I, the midwife has got to come now. My doula's got to come. This is happening very fast. I could just tell it was happening fast. So yeah. I woke up my husband. I told him I'm in labor. It's happening really fast. We got to call the midwives right now. And so we called them right at around 4 a.m. And they showed up around 5 a.m. There was two of them that showed up. And uh, my doula came at that time as well. And I eventually removed my two-year-old to a different room in the house and I went back up into our bedroom and I just labored there. Um, and it, it was very, it was a very, very intense labor, very different from my first. Mm. I, I remember the midwives trying to give me suggestions like maybe this position or maybe try the birth stool. And it was like, nothing they said was relevant. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? Like yeah. nobody could <laughs> Nobody could help me. My doula was like, she was very lovely and really tried to support me um, in different ways, physically or emotionally. But it was like, I was just in it. And it was almost like no one else was in the room. I mean, I was Mm. aware of people being there, but, but nobody could touch my labor land. It was just, it was just me and my son. And eventually I really, uh, another weird thing about this labor is that I, I felt like I never really got on top of the contractions like I'm sure you can relate to this like in my first labor I kind of got into a groove where it was like okay I know contractions coming I know this is going to work for me if Mm -hmm. I make this sound or I'm in this position and then I can get through it you know like you kind of get in you figure out what your rhythm is and in this labor I could I never got that like I just couldn't I couldn't get on top of it and the other thing that I felt that was interesting to me was just this incredible pressure like that feeling of my baby moving through my pelvic bones and pushing my bones apart. And man, that is a distinctive feeling. And that's what I never felt. It never even came close to feeling that with my first labor and my first baby. You know, now that I felt that I know exactly what that descending feeling feels like. I mean, it's unmistakable. So it was, it was an intense few hours. um, And I ended up sitting in my bed, kind of propped upright, sitting in my bed with my husband behind me. I was probably sitting like in the exact place where he was conceived, which is kind of beautiful to me. Oh, I love that. And I, he shot out of me. <laughs> like, like I totally like experienced that fetal ejection reflex right, where I wasn't okay. pushing. I, I never felt, I never pushed. I, it was just, it was like my labor process was I had to get out of, out of my own body's way and let my body do it. And that's yeah. exactly what I did. So I was kind of sitting upright he shot out of me in just one quick contraction and I pulled him up onto my chest and um, it was amazing. Oof, I, it was yeah. the most amazing moment of life. He, 
he looked right up at me. He didn't cry. He was white, just alert. Um, he pooped all over me <laughs> and I, I've never been happier to be pooped on in my entire life. Um, my husband was there and he quickly, I'm so grateful that he did this, but he had the, 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 the foresight to snap a couple of pictures of me right after, I mean, literally right after Obama was born and I'm holding him in my arms and looking at him and Sarah, you would have thought that I had just taken like a boatload of ecstasy and uh. danced all night or had like 15 orgasms in a row. I mean, I'm glowing. I've uh. never seen, <laughs> I've never seen me glow like that. I, I mean, those, those afterbirth hormones are so legit. Uh. So legit. It was amazing. And I, it's exactly what I wanted. I just wanted to feel that moment so badly. Um, and it was incredible. His placenta came right out. I got to see it. I kept it this time. That was another really bummer thing about my first birth is that I didn't get to keep my placenta or even mm-hmm. see it. But this time I did. And um, everything was perfect, honestly. I had no postpartum issues. Um, oh, and I should say the moment that he was born was right around 8 a.m. And that means that I had a six-hour labor. Wow. So I, I started labor right at 2 a.m. and he was born at 8 a.m. So very fast, Mm -hmm. (laughs) totally different experience. Like everything about the experience was completely different. Um, And I I really think it's because he's just a completely different child. And I think that our babies really do, you know, they come in with their own, they're their own people right from day one. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, oh. it was incredible. Breastfeeding was so easy. I this time around I had no problems. It was just easy as cake. Mm. And um he's he's two now and we're actually we're still breastfeeding and wow. That's been kind of a sweet gift to give him too. Yeah. That's that's amazing. We'll have to talk more about that too, because I'm at fourteen months um still nursing <laughs> and there's you know, a lot of conversation around that on, on many different sides mm-hmm. and angles and people who have experience with that or don't and think that there's only, you know, one way to do it. Or I think there's a very interesting perspective on it from a Western culture compared to like the rest of the world and how they do breastfeeding. Um, so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in a stage right now of like evaluating for myself what we're going to be doing next or in the next couple of months and what it's going to look like. So it's a, uh, it's it's a is an amazing gift. I like how you said that that we've been able to experience it thus far, and I'm just I've kind of now reached a point of like I don't really know now. Wh- I don't know now what is next. You know, it was very clear in the oh, first yeah. year what was happening with it, and now I'm like I don't know. I'm feeling a little lost in the sea of breastfeeding. <laughs> I totally feel you. I'm right there with you. Yep. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, I I just. I just don't know what to do with you, Diana. I think this is just also awesome. It's I'm I can pretty much guarantee follow up conversations on this episode and questions on it and whatever, just because it's so rich with with stuff and and all different. I was even reflecting, you know, just a few moments ago as you were talking, I was thinking about you know healing from your first birth and all of that not even comparing it to a cesarean or a traumatic cesarean, but I myself, I had hernia surgery a couple years ago, um, right inguinal, you know, hernia. So very low right down in there. Mm -hmm. And I had to have two surgeries for it actually in a week's time. And, um, it was 
it was a very big ordeal. Like, you know, I had a wound back and they, they let it heal from the bottom up. So I had a basically an open wound I was walking around with for a month. And then after that, you know, doctors were telling me because of its placement and whatever, you know, you might not be able to have a vaginal birth. You might not even be able to carry to term because as your uterus expands and whatever, like just telling me these things. And then as I moved you know, into actually preparing for pregnancy and getting pregnant and having conversations with my midwife. It's like all of that was cover their butt conversations. Like not, totally does not hold any water. And I mean, clearly I, I birthed an eight pound baby. So it's like, but it's just even, I even got to like redo some of that in my head and heal it in a new different way. Just hearing your conversation. So even not, you know, a, a cesarean, you know, experience, but just having any sort of surgery down there that could potentially complicate that, that experience and that process. Um, I, I'm grateful for that just to be able to look back at that and be like, huh, that was interesting. <laughs> wow. Wow. That, well, that sounds like a pretty dramatic surgery too. Wow. <laughs> but it just shows you like what you can, it shows you a lot of things. I think it shows the, the incredible strength of, of your inner spirit and intuition and that, you know, divinity within you. And then the trust you have with yourself. I mean, I just love, there's so many quotables from you. I mean, you saying I trust birth. I mean, that's amazing. I want to put that on a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I think it is on a shirt somewhere. I think like Indie Birth put it on a shirt somewhere. Oh, love Indie Birth. (laughs) I just did a, I was just on her show. I know, Sarah. I listened to it. You were amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love Indie Birth. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So great. Um, I, I guess as, as we're wrapping up here, because I don't really want to, I want this conversation to just keep going forever. Um, just any sort of anything that you want to leave listeners or, or mothers with as it relates to um, VBAC or home birth after cesarean, just anything you kind of want to leave them with um, either based on your experience or anything for them going forward. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let you have the floor. Okay. Wow. Um, I want to say the first thing that comes to my mind that I want to say is that birth trauma is a thing. And if you feel traumatized by your birth, even if you didn't have a C-section, that is legitimate and you really can honor that. And um, many, many, many of us understand you and will hear you and honor your story. So that's really the first thing that I want to say. I also want to say that birth is safe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Our bodies were meant to birth and um, none of us are broken. I mean, you got, you got sort of that, message from doctors that like, well, because you had the surgery, you're kind of broken and your body won't work that it is, but like your body isn't broken. You know, we're, we're so indoctrinated into not trusting our bodies, especially as women. We're not, we're not taught anything about birth. We live in a culture of fear. Um, We let, we've let male persons take over the birth process for us, which I think is, you know, I love men, but I do think that there's a problem with that. Yeah. Um, so it's going to take some work for us all collectively as women to undo some of that conditioning. You know, we are meant to birth. We're not broken. It, that That's kind of a radical thing to say, but I think it's really important to consider that. Yeah. And I, and I, and I really wish for every woman to have a powerful 
birthing experience, whatever that looks like. I mean, I, this is a, this is a, this is a podcast about home birth. So obviously we're talking about home birth and I'm passionate about home birth, but you know, I think at the end of the day, what we're all interested in is women, mothers having powerful births because, you know, it, it takes so much strength to be a mother. There's so many ways that it takes strength to be a mother. And when you're left kind of broken and hurt and traumatized and unsure of yourself after birth, it affects mothering. Mm -hmm. But, but on the flip side, if you're left feeling, you know, high on those hormones and powerful because you are powerful, that really affects your mothering. And you know what, we need a generation of kids that have mothers that feel that they're powerful. We really do. It's what the world needs right now. Uh, 100% agree. That resonates on every level. I feel that like on a cellular level and yes, yes to all of that. Yes. Um, yes. Diana, you're amazing. Thank you so, so much. Um, I will, do you want to go ahead and put out, um, Instagram or any way that people could connect with you if, if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my Instagram handle is an instrument of thy peace like the St. Francis prayer, an instrument of thy peace. Or you can just type in my name, Diana Forcell, and um, it's actually Diana Forcell Tain, but you'll find me that way too. And I keep my Instagram open. So um, please reach out to me if you want to connect with me. I love, love, love connecting with um, other mothers. Uh, yeah, that's probably awesome. the best way to reach me. Great. Okay, cool. And I'll include a link to that on, on the show notes as well. So if you're driving or something like that, or you missed that, um, go to diahpodcast.com and you can um, link to that. Um, again, thank you. I don't know how many times I've said thank you. You're amazing. And um, <laughs> you. just keep being, keep being you. <laughs> oh, thank you. You too. You're, you're an inspiration to me as well. quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved? Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D A D A G E S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.